0: In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Well, we are very honored to have uh, our special guest that's going to be with us also tonight. I invite all of you to come and celebrate with the graduates uh, tonight. Um, Tony will be with us. It's a wonderful day of celebration Uh, as we are gathered together. So I I encourage you to be here. You're going to hear from some wonderful uh, valedictorians and things of that nature. So we just come support. Amen. But it's a tremendous honor to have the cooks with us. And uh, I'll have Tony introduce his wife. But uh, uh, his book table in the back, you're not going to find any more uh, better quality books than those books that are out there. And I encourage you, buy them up. They will enrich your life and bless you greatly. And uh, he was one of my favorite teachers at Rhema Bible Training Center when I went. It's now Rhema Bible Training College. And a tremendous man of God, tremendous author, tremendous speaker. Let's give a warm welcome to Tony Cook as he comes up here.
1: Well, thank you, and good morning, man. It's good to see everybody. Everybody's looking great. Um, how many of you came in from the uh, east and had to dodge all the uh, uh, Iron Man stuff? Do y'all see that? That was my challenge when Pastor Greg invited me. I knew I'd have... I, I, I may not have gotten that plugged in good. Or do you want to use use that? Okay. Are we good? The last time this happened, I did not get that plugged in very good. So that typically is the speaker's fault. How's that? Is that all right? Okay. Well, well, we'll cut this off and I'll go here. All right. How's that? Better? All right. Well, when Pastor Greg asked me, I had to decide, do I want to do the Iron Man or do I want to preach? <laughs> do I want to do the Iron Man? So I, t- okay, Lord, I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up the iron man. That makes 64 years in a row that I've I've given up the iron man. I think I'll be giving it up from now on too. So anyway, seriously, Pastor Greg and Karen it's so good to see you. We value and appreciate you, and thank you for the faithful work you've done here, the excellent work, and thank you for allowing me to be a part today and tonight. That's a real special treat and honor. And uh, my wife, Lisa, Lisa, would you stand up, please, hon, and just say hello to everybody. I was just thinking about uh, a a minute ago, uh, in less than a month, in less than one month, we're going to have been married 44 years so, we've uh, we've got that special day coming up, and I, I didn't realize it was coming up that close. So that's got to remember those things. Um, before before we jump in, I just want to show you a couple pictures here. First is a a picture. Uh, Pastor Greg was so kind to mention the books that we've written, and we have a picture coming up the center stack are the English books, and we've got all of those here today, and actually, if we sell out, if you do what your pastor said and buy all those up, um, uh, if you... Don't, have, don't get one today that you want. Uh, you can pay for it and we'll bring it tonight because we just live in Broken Arrow and and uh, I can pick up anything that sells out and have it for you tonight. But the, the stack that really excites us is the stack on the left and the right and those are the foreign translations that we have in other countries and uh, we don't have Turkish listed there, but we have a book that just came out. And matter of fact, I'll be heading to Turkey in August, my wife and I, and then to Egypt and then to um, uh, Lebanon. We've got four books in Arabic, but we now have one in Turkish. And we've got books coming out. Uh, they're in process right now in uh, Hindi and Nepali. So um, we just want to continue to see that uh, operating and and. Productive and fruitful. And, and we always have people that say, well, you know, I don't love to read or I drive a, a lot. and I, Do you have anything in audio? The next slide shows the uh, books that we've put on audio. These are the exact books and they're just read out loud. And um, I used to think I wouldn't like audio books, but uh, actually since I've started uh, listening to them for a few years, I absolutely really love them. So uh, those are on audible.com. But we just wanted to let you know about a few of those resources. I want to talk with you today. It's actually from one of our... Well, it's actually from our very newest book. It's called The End of Spectator Church. And I want to talk to you today about something that... Um, I don't think we hear a lot about. And, of course, how many of you know there's hundreds of different themes that you can talk about? You know, the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God, you know, the heart of God. There's so many things you can talk about. It's, it's kind of hard to cover everything. But this is something that the Lord really uh, began dealing with me about a few years ago. And it has to do with what we call the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of of the believer. You know, most people have the idea that a priest is a certain, you know, clergy, clerical, ministerial office in certain uh, versions of Christianity, certain strands or streams of Christianity like Roman Catholic priests and Anglican priests and um, uh, Eastern Orthodox priests if you happen to be from that part of the world. And uh, I grew up in a mainline Protestant uh, denominational church and, and we specifically did not have priests as the leaders of the church. We just called him pastor. And, um, but even though I wasn't raised in a church that had that priest, uh, terminology, I always saw the pastor as kind of a priest. In other words, the pastor had some relationship with God that I did not have. I was an outsider in my mind. He was an insider. And, um, so but but one thing that um, is super important and this is going to be our first scripture it's our next slide is what the bible really says about being a priest. Peter how many of you think Peter's a pretty good source? The apostle Peter said to all Christians, and we emphasize all Christians because he was talking to multiple congregations in a whole bunch of different regions. And this is what he said, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. How many of you know the temple of the Old Testament got totally and permanently destroyed in 70 A.D.? Um, The Romans came in and just leveled it. And, And Peter, even before that happened, Peter was telling believers. Because how many of you know all those Old Testament sacrifices really lost their significance when the one true sacrifice had been offered, and that was Jesus Christ himself. Uh, John the Baptist saw him coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And all those goats and lambs and turtle doves and heifers and all that that had been offered sacrificially, they were really simply representative of the one true ultimate sacrifice who bore our sins, shed his blood, died, rose from the dead. And now he he was not only the, the sacrifice of the covenant, but now he's the high priest of the new covenant. And so that whole priesthood ended up being, becoming obsolete. Uh, Jesus is now our high priest, and, um, and we are the temple. Uh, we are the temple. Peter said, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And I like something that Corey Ten Boom said. She said, be united with other Christians. A wall with loose bricks is not good. The bricks must be cemented together. And that's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We have a bond uh, just like the mortar. Uh, you know, buildings, I mean, as far back as, as New Testament times, they would use mortar to, uh, to uh, cause cohesion between the different stones. And you and I have a cohesion called the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's, it's, it's uh, renewed in our minds every time that we assemble together, every time that we pray for one another, every time that we worship together, every time that we hear the word of God together. Peter said, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, so here's an additional thought that Peter is going to share. What's more, uh, you are his holy priests Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Notice what Peter says. He said, you are his holy priests. If you ever thought that a priest was somebody else... And that somebody else had more access to God than you did. Somebody else had more access to the blessings of God than you did. Let me just tell you right now, you are His spiritual priests. You and I, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have access to God. And uh, there's a great both privilege and responsibility that comes with priesthood. I, I was sharing this message. We were up in Colorado, I don't know, some time ago. And, and uh, my wife was back at the book table and she heard two, uh, I, was, I hope this phrase, little old ladies, you know. Uh, old is not what it used to be. I'm, but anyway, these two little old ladies were walking by. And one of them said to the other, my wife heard this, she said, well, I've been in church all my life. And I didn't know until just today that I'm a priest. <laughs> and maybe you've never thought about that. Maybe you've never focused on this scripture whatever. But I want you to know, you are a priest. And part of what we do, according to this verse, is we offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices. Aren't you glad you don't have to offer up animal sacrifices? You go back and you study the Old Testament priesthood, man, it was, you know, they were constantly offering sacrifices to God. And and because the people didn't have any access to God for themselves, they had to come through somebody else. And they had to bring their animal, their lamb or their turtle dove or their goat or whatever and hand it to the priest and the priest would offer up that sacrifice for them. How many of you are glad we don't have to do that anymore? Jesus is the one true sacrifice and what he see they had to do it time after time after time because it was really only temporary and and it was really only superficial in a sense but, but what Jesus did by one sacrifice for all time he has put away sin forever he never and then he was able to sit down he doesn't have to be offered up sacrifice again and again and again one time thank God you mentioned that symbol on the, on the platform thank God for what he did on the cross and let's look in another passage of scripture here 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 Peter says but you are a chosen generation Now, people have been reading that verse or hearing that verse for the last 2,000 years. So which generation is it that's chosen? Whenever you read that, if you read that in the year 1,000, you were a believer, you were chosen for that time. We read that today. We're chosen for this time. I look and I I realize, I could have been any time in history, you say, oh, but things are so bad in the world. Things have always been bad in the world. But God's greater than the devil is bad. We're a chosen generation. And so, so, you know, can I tell you something? God is not afraid because of what's on the news. Jesus is not pacing the floor of heaven saying, oh, I don't know if we can pull this off or not. I mean, I know we're supposed to win, but no. God is not, you know, he is not afraid. He is not troubled. Uh, He is sitting confidently on the throne. And because he reigns, we can reign. You're a chosen generation. Notice what he says. You are a royal generation priesthood you know they just had the coronation of the new king of england recently and all the you know things about the royal family and and that type of thing and and whatever your views are on i don't care one way or the other i I don't have much of an opinion myself but but here's here's the royalty that really matters we're a royal priesthood through jesus christ you're eternally royalty you're, you're related to the king of kings. We're a royal priesthood. And notice what it says. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, let's talk for a minute. Let's talk for a minute about, have you, ever, have you ever wondered, boy, I'd sure like to, I wish I had lived in Daniel's time, and I wish I'd lived back during Moses' time or whatever. You do not wish you'd lived back in any of those times. They, were, they lived in those times because that was their God-ordained time. But uh, I like living in a day when we got air conditioning. I like living in a day when we got airplanes and all kinds of, you know, so I I used, I know that's all carnal, forgive me for that, but I do like air conditioning for sure. But, but if you've ever thought, well, you know, it'd be so cool to have lived in the Old Testament. No, we have a better covenant based upon better promises. I want to show you a picture of what an Old Testament priest might have looked like. You know, this is obviously some modern or somebody recreated it. They didn't have cameras back then, of course. But And like I said, the temple in Jerusalem hasn't functioned since 70 A.D. But priests would, um, you say, what's all that smoke? Well, uh, after they did the animal sacrifices on the outside, uh, one priest... Every morning. Now, in Jesus' day, by the time of Jesus, see, the priesthood got started through Moses' brother, Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest, and his sons served as the priests under him. And then from that time on, there was a lineage, there was an ancestral line of the male descendants of Aaron, and they were the only ones... Who were priests? They had to be male. They had to be a, a male descendant of Aaron, and they also had to have no physical defect whatsoever. So it was really a really narrow line, you know, of the thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people that lived in Israel. By the time of Jesus, uh, there were only eight. There were eighteen thousand priests. And they all worked in one building, the temple. And, and because they had so many priests, they were divided into 24 teams. And each team only got to work two weeks out of the year. So, and, 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 and all, lots of the priests got to offer up animal sacrifices. But only one priest every day then got to go inside the temple into what we call the holy place. Now, I'm not talking about the holy of holies. That was further yet. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the high priest got to go into the temple, uh, into the holy of holies once a year. But every day, a priest was selected out of those 18,000 to go into the holy place and do what we're seeing here. Let's look at the next slide because it shows a little better picture. The priest would get to go in and burn incense... You saw smoke in the last picture. You're seeing smoke in this picture. They would have a little fire on that altar. Now, this is not the outside where the animals were sacrificed. This was inside where the priest got to go. But you think, oh, only one person got to do it every day. You know what that means? The vast majority of the priests never got to go into the holy place. They they got to stay outside... But, but it, was, it was a very special, and, and, and this sounds bad, but they, they went, if they got to go in, it was because they won the lottery. I'm not talking about mega millions, I'm not talking about scratch and see what you win, but they had a lottery system for, I'm not justifying any, but whatever, you, whatever that's between you and God. But um, most priests never got to go into the holy place. Just didn't get to, so let's look at this um, next uh, screen picture. Um, One day, how many of you remember the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth? They were the parents, the mom and dad of John the Baptist, right? And he was a priest, and he was quite old, and he had never, in all of his decades of being a priest, he was never fortunate enough to be chosen to go into the temple and burn the incense. But one time, he, he was selected. And, and this is what we read. It's right before the Christmas story. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. His team of 24 was on duty that week. As, the, as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, what's that next line say? A great crowd stood outside. That's really the story of the Old Testament. The great crowd of people had to stay outside. They had to stay far away priesthood meant that you at least had an opportunity to draw close to God in the Old Testament. But the vast majority of the people had to stay away, had to stay outside. Here's the beauty of the New Testament. When we are holy priests, when we are a royal priesthood, we all have the privilege of drawing close to God. We're not outsiders. We're insiders. What does it mean to be a priest? Well, let's look at what John said. Let's just, let's just validate this further. John said that he, Jesus, has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I like that, glory and dominion. I like that. You, you use the word reign here and train, tra- train with, reign with a T in front of it. That that really captures part of the heart of God for us. Uh, we, we are in training to be reigning. We're kings and priests. But my question is, How many of us even know, I'm not talking about us here, but in the body of Christ at large, how many people even know that they are priests and and that they have the privilege of operating as New Testament priests? Let's look at what a definition. I'm going to give this to you and and, um, let you kind of think about this. A definition of priesthood. Here it is on the next screen. The priesthood of the believer means that we all have the privilege of accessing the presence and the blessings of God as well as the responsibility of sharing and conveying those blessings with others. I absolutely love that. We all have the privilege of accessing the presence of God. Now, why do? how do we do that? Do we, Do I wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, God. I am so awesome. I just knew you'd I just knew because I'm so awesome that you'd want to hang out with me today and things like that. We need to go back and listen to what Pastor Greg said earlier about God is good. Us without Christ, not so much. Now who we are in Christ is pretty awesome, but that's not because of us, that's because of him. Okay? Without Christ, we are lost. Without Christ, we are separated from God. The Bible says we were without hope and without God in this world. The Bible says that before we met Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Listen, if you ever think you're awesome without Christ, ah, please ask God to show you who you really are, and then ask God to show you who you can become when you come into Him. Okay? This is super, super vital. Uh, you don't wake up in the morning and say, God, here I am. It's, I know it's a great privilege for you to be with me because I'm so. No, we get up in the morning and we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for who Jesus has made me to be. Thank you for what Jesus has done in my life. Thank you for who I am in Him. It's through your blood, Jesus, that I have access to the Father. And, and we come in, in Jesus' name. You know, when we say in the name of Jesus, it's not just some kind of mechanical ritual saying that we use. We're, we're reminding ourselves that I'm not coming to God based on my merit or my achievement or my performance. I'm coming to God because of what Jesus has done and is doing in my life. But let me tell you another thing that you don't have to do. I I trust that none of you got up this morning and said, Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus and in the name of Pastor Greg. Now, don't misunderstand me. Pastors have a vital role. They have a tremendous calling, assignment, responsibility But one of our, and I say this as a a teacher in the body of Christ, just like Pastor Greg is a pastor in the body of Christ, as as ministers of the gospel, fivefold ministers, we have many responsibilities to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and so on. But one of the responsibilities we don't have is to be your mediator. There is one God. And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I say this and I try to say this lovingly and respectfully. I'm not making fun because I know the person that said this to me was in a horribly desperate situation. I'm sure they weren't thinking clearly. I'm sure they were just so overcome with anxiety or fear that they said something. And But I just, well, here's what they said to me. They were, you know, going through this horrible time in their life and this person said, Brother Cook, you're my only hope. And I thought... well you really are in trouble. (laughs) Because if God's died and Jesus died and the Holy Spirit's dead, um, you know, there's not much I can do for you. Really. No, we're not anybody's only hope. God, through Jesus with the power enablement of the Holy Spirit. This is what we mean when we say the priesthood means that we all, we all have the privilege of access to God through Jesus Christ. That doesn't minimize the role of a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist or any other function. We all have different functions whether we preach or not. But we all have access to God through Jesus let me share this verse with you, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses uh, 14 through 15. Paul says, now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. How many of you remember the picture of the priest? What was the priest doing in those pictures? He was standing in an altar. He was offering up incense, which represented symbolically the prayers and the praise and the worship of God's people. Do you know what happened when that priest stood in front of that altar with the incense on the fire? The fragrance of that aroma would have saturated every fiber of his clothing, every you know, his beard, his uh, mustache, the pores of his skin would have been saturated with the fragrance of that incense which represented the worship of God. So when he went out amongst the common people, whoo, you knew the priest was there. And he smelled good. That, that fragrance was awesome. Now, you know, many people know what it is to be in a smoke-filled room. And I'm not talking the glory of God. Okay? Maybe before you met Jesus, you were hanging out in some places that were, you know, uh, you know, just you, you took on a certain fragrance, but it wasn't really good. And you went out and somebody said, where have you been? He said, oh, no, where I haven't been anywhere. No, they knew you were somewhere. Because you carried that fragrance of that place. Do you know what? When we're priests and we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God, there's a spiritual aroma. It may not be discernible to the physical sense of smell. Although you'll hear on occasion, you know, you'll hear about somebody that God just kind of opens up the spirit realm to them for, and they, they can smell the, the fragrance. They say it's the most beautiful, uh, you know, I think heaven's going to smell beautiful. The aroma and, and we get to touch that you know, it may not be discernible to the physical senses, but but there's something that, that we carry. Notice what Paul said. Our lives become a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. I want to give you five very quick, very quick, very practical ways that we get to function as a priest. Because if we just stopped here... And, um, you know, you'd say, well, what did they preach about? We're priests. Well, what does that mean? Uh, We can access God. Okay, so what? Well, I don't know. Well, we're going to tell you the so what. Okay, number one, we function as priests when we offer our very selves, including our bodies, to God. If you were an Old Testament priest... Offering sacrifices to God was really impersonal. So you would stand there at the altar outside the temple and they had you know, uh, channels cut to drain away all the blood and things like that and, and you would kill the animal and you would throw it up on the altar and it would be kind of roasted and things like that. It was, it was kind of like a barbecue with religious significance. But, but if, for the priest, it was really impersonal. You just take somebody's animal and throw it up there and cut the, let the blood drain. And, but you know what? In the New Testament, our offering is as personal as it gets. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies." A living sacrifice, not dying, not dead, a living sacrifice. See, all the blood that was shed, needed to be shed, was already shed by Jesus. So what we do in the Old Testament, they offered a dying sacrifice. In the New Testament, we offer a living sacrifice, which is our, what is it? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The common English Bible of that says this. If we could go to the next slide, it says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. We don't have time to teach this in depth right now, but here's one of the things the Bible teaches is that Jesus just died not only so that we could spiritually go to heaven when we die, but Jesus died so to purchase our bodies. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you listen to this age, if you listen to the secular world, you will hear this, it's my body. I can do with my body what I want to do with my body. If you're a Christian, you can't say that. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It was bought with a price. Therefore, I'm to glorify God with my body and my spirit, which belong to God. I don't get to do with my body what I want to. We're told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Paul told us in Romans 6, he said, present yourself unto God as those that have been raised from the dead, and your." members, the members of your body as instruments of righteousness unto God. If you're going to be a priest unto God, you, your body doesn't get to call the shots. Your flesh doesn't get to call the shots. You have to present your body as a living sacrifice to God. Now, some people might hear that and say, could we just kind of do it where I just give God some animal instead? I, You know, I kind of want to do with my body what I want to do with my body. No, Jesus is Lord. So number one, we function as priests when we present our bodies to God. Number two, we function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. I like what David said. You know, David was not of the tribe of Levi. He was not a descendant of Aaron. david Somebody ought to know what tribe David was from. He was from the tribe of Judah. So he wasn't a priest, but look at what he said about his prayers. He said, let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice... That burns like fragrant incense, rising as my offering to you as I lift up my hands in surrendered worship. See, when you pray, please don't just see it as some mechanical, ritualistic, you know, word thing that you put together. But when you pray, think of your prayer as the sacrifice. He said the evening sacrifice. There was a morning and an evening sacrifice. But but that evening sacrifice was the, was the incense on the altar rising up that represented all the prayers, praise, and worship of God's people. Today, we don't have a symbolic uh, thing that rises up we have actual prayers of God's people rising up because you're a priest. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Therefore by Him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of lambs. No. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Number three, we function as priests when we serve. We function as priests when we serve. You know, one of the things that I have the privilege of doing when we travel both stateside and in different parts of the world is one of our main messages is that God has an assignment For every Christian. That's why we call that book The End of Spectator Church, because we're not called just to be spectators and passive observers. We're all called to serve God and serve one another. And I'm absolutely convinced that you and I will never be fulfilled until we find our purpose in serving God, which means serving others, serving in our church, serving in outreach, serving in our community. We're here to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And number two, the body of Christ will never achieve its potential until every member has found its function and is fulfilling its purpose through serving. John chapter 12 is a very interesting passage. It says in John chapter 12 verse 3, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Let me read that to you again. Listen very carefully. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Now, we know that Mary was not a priest, but but what she did here has priestly undertones to it. On one hand, there's, there's a, an element of servanthood 101. Because you know what servanthood 101 was back in Jesus' day? Everybody walked everywhere. You know, they were out on dusty, dry roads, um, you know, you would walk, and you had sandals. And when you showed up at somebody somebody's house, guess what your feet were like? They were dirty, very dusty. And uh, servanthood one hundred one was that somebody in the house, a servant, would take a, what a basin of water and a towel, and they would wash the feet of the guest. You remember when Jesus did that with his own disciples, Jesus was demonstrating, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Have you ever said, Lord, I want to be like Jesus? That means you want to be a servant, not have everybody serve you. But what Mary did was on a whole different level. Mary did not take a basin of water, she took a jar of expensive perfume. And it actually, Judas Iscariot just blew his mind because that bottle of perfume was worth a year's wages. This must have been some costly perfume. And she, she took. She didn't take a, a basin of water. She took a bottle of perfume. She didn't take a towel. She used her own hair. Yes. See, she took basic servanthood and and turned it into something of extravagant devotion. And notice what the Bible says, and the the house was filled with the fragrance. If the house was filled with the fragrance, what do you think her hair smelled like for weeks and weeks? What do you think her garments carried the aroma of? That act of devotion, that act Of love, and so there's a priestly component here to what Mary did. At least it had it had um, priestly uh, undertones with the oil, which was common in the temple, with the fragrance, which was part of their worship, and um, that she carried that fragrance, and the house was filled with the fragrance. I believe that when God's people all serve one another that this house gets filled with a fragrance. There's a spiritual aroma that is pleasing to God. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. And let me say this before we look at that. Some people say, well, yeah, if Jesus showed up, man, I'd, I'd rent the finest luxury car and drive him around and if Jesus showed up I'd take him to the finest steakhouse in Oklahoma and things like that. But but Jesus typically isn't showing up for car rides and steak dinners. So what do we do? Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. So when you serve in the children's department, if you'll do it out of a heart of love. See if we don't do it out of a heart of love, We're not really doing it right. Paul said, if I give everything I have to the poor, and if I give my body to be burned but don't have love, it profits me nothing. We have to be, you know, we have to have the same kind of love motivation the devotion motivation that Mary had when we serve God, if we're going to get maximum benefit. But Hebrews chapter 13 verse 16 says, make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. See, we need to be doing more than just attending church. We need to be working for the common good. He goes on to say, share what you have with others And that doesn't just mean money. That means your talent, your time, your abilities, your gifts, things like that. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice. See, not the Old Testament sacrifice. A different kind of sacrifice that takes place in the kitchen and workplace and on the streets. These are all the places where we can practically serve God. And then number four, we're wrapping up very quickly. We function as priests when we give. Thank God for faithful church members who support their local church with tithes and offerings. As it was shared earlier, uh, the reason that this church is not only able to keep the house strong here, and by the way, you have a beautiful place here, but but the reason you're able to do all the things you do overseas and in missions and in outreach is because you have faithful people who bring their tithes into this storehouse. Now I'll be honest with you. I many times I've just given mechanically, you know, just well we're supposed to, so we do it, and 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 I don't really connect to the heart of devotion and 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 can you know connect in faith and things like that and we need to we need to really give out of love and and in faith look at what paul said in philippians chapter 4 when the church at philippi had sent him a financial offering he said i've received the gift you sent by epaphroditus and viewed it as a sweet sacrifice perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness, which is so pleasing to God. Do you see the priestly language there? Time and again, in all these verses we've looked at, we can read the New Testament and not realize that Paul is using the Old Testament priesthood as the background, as the backdrop for these statements. But the New Testament is loaded with priestly language reflecting the fact that we are holy priests to God. That we are a royal priesthood. So, our giving Peter says Paul says rather, can be uh, perfumed with the fragrance of our faithfulness, and it 's pleasing to God. Giving can be a priestly activity number five, and this is our final point, number five, we function as priests when we evangelize when we share the good news, and this is not. This is not regulated uh, or, or uh, exclusive to full time preachers, but anybody who shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says in romans fifteen sixteen He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Notice the gospel is somehow connected to priestly responsibilities. So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let me just kind of break that down a little bit. And, and, and you guys will be familiar with this. When an, when an altar call is given, when there's an invitation given in a church... And and the pastor says, you know what, maybe there's people here today who have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, if you want to get right with God, if you want to make sure your sins are forgiven, if you want to make sure that you're going to heaven when you die, if you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, turn away from your sin, step into a whole brand new way of living. See, that is a priestly duty. Because what happens when somebody responds to that? When somebody says, yes, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. They they were a Gentile, which means they had no covenant with God. And when we lead them in the prayer to accept Jesus, we are presenting them here according to Paul. We've done the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. And then we get the privilege of presenting them as an offering To God. Now, the preacher is not the priest. Jesus is the priest. Nobody's coming to God through me. They're coming to God through Jesus. But we have the privilege, we have the priestly duty or privilege of telling them the gospel. And the gospel doesn't draw them to me. The gospel draws them to Jesus. And through Jesus, they become an offering to God. Let's look at this final slide. Here's how we function as priests. Number one, we function as priests when we offer our very selves, including our bodies, to God. Number uh, two, we worship. We function as a priest when we worship, praise, and pray. Number three, we function as priests when we serve. We function as priests when we give and when we evangelize. When you stop and think about that, what, how, how often should we consecrate our, our lives to God? You know, my wife and I are coming up on 44 years of marriage, and what if she were to say to me, you know, Tony, you, you haven't said I love you in a long time. And I said, honey, I told you I loved you at our wedding. <laughs> if, I change, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. you'd say, you need to read a book. You need to take a class. You need to go to a conference or something. How many of you know, husbands, it's good to tell your wives a lot that you love her? Especially when you do. Thank you. (laughs) I'm not going to comment on that, but boy, we we could go somewhere there. So how often do you think God likes it when we say, Lord, I just, today, I, I, you know, I know I gave my life to you back on such and such a date, but I just want to, I just want to recommit my heart, my life to you, God, today, my mind is yours, my eyes are yours, my hand, my feet. You know everything that you, you, Lord, are the Lord of every fiber of my being. I just surrender myself to you and worship. And Lord, I not only offer my body as a sacrifice, but my words, my worship, my praise. You know, and 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 that type of thing. And Lord, um, uh, let help me serve others today. You know, help me serve people today, and let that be an offering. Uh, that's sacrificial. And as I give, share financially with other people, Lord, let that be seasoned with the fragrance. And, and Lord, you know, whether, whether I overtly evangelize today or whether I just let my light shine and am salt and endeavor to be a great example of Jesus in the workplace, Lord, let me be your representative. And Lord, let that be a priestly, let me just live a priestly life where people are invited to partake of the gospel. See, when we live with a priestly mentality, it 's a hundred percent diametrically different than just going to church on a Sunday as a spectator. Now we 're not against people coming to church as a spectator. We wish everybody would come to church as a spectator. We just don 't want you to stay that way forever. We want you to engage. We want you to surrender your heart to Jesus. We want you to uh, begin to identify as a priest and live as a priest. That doesn't mean we don't have positions in the church, structure, you know, uh, different responsibilities, different gifts, and so on. But everybody's a priest if you're born of, of Jesus, if you're born of the Spirit of God. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this time together today. And Lord, I just pray for the people across this auditorium that every single one of them will have an awareness uh, who they are. That, Lord, we're not just, we're not some outsider. We're not somebody at a great distance from you. But, Lord, we're priests. And unlike the priests of the Old Testament, we have the privilege of regular access. You've invited us to draw near. And so, Lord, we we couldn't be a priest if it weren't for our high priest, if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, Boy, we just would be in such bad shape. But, Father, I just pray that you'll help each and every one of us understand his or her priesthood and walk in the fullness of that. And before we go, I just want to do exactly what we kind of talked about a little bit ago. I want to ask you the question right now. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior... The Bible says that uh, Jesus said that if we're going to see or enter the kingdom of heaven, we must be. Born again. That means to have a brand new life and a brand new heart given to us by God. Nobody nobody is going to heaven because of how good they are, because nobody's good enough. Nobody's going to heaven because of how perfect they are, because nobody's perfect enough. Nobody's going to heaven because of how religious they are, because nobody's religious enough. We go to heaven because we're forgiven. We go to heaven because Jesus enables us to have a new life, enables us to be born again. And if you're here today and uh, have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want to pray for you. This is not some, you know, grueling, you know, I'm, I'm not asking to go run the Ironman competition. I'm asking you to receive a gift a wonderful gift of forgiveness and eternal life. A gift of acceptance from God. Or or you may be here today and you might say, Tony, you know, I, I really, I gave my life to God at one time. But man, I have not been living for God. I've been away from God. I don't mean you just need a little tiny tweak in your attitude or something like that. But I mean, you've been away from God. You've been doing your own thing. And like the prodigal son, you need to come to yourself... And and say I'm gonna I'm gonna go to my father's house. I'm gonna quit living uh, in this distant land. I'm gonna stop living with the pigs so to speak, and I'm going to get right with God today. I want to pray for you if that's you on either of those invitations. You need Jesus for the very first time, or you need to rededicate your life to God. I'm going to pray for you if that's you on either invitation. Slip your hand up if that's you, either either one of those. You need Jesus for the very first time, or you need to rededicate your life. Let me see your hand all over this place. I'm looking, and I'm really serious. You need Jesus if you don't have him. You need to rededicate your life if you're not living actively for him. I'm looking all over this place. Let me, let's do this. I'm not seeing any hands. So let me do this. If you know that Jesus is your savior, you know that you're a child of God. You know that you're born again and you're walking in fellowship with God. Hold up your hand as a testimony of your faith I'm looking all over this place and it looks as best I can tell I'm seeing every hand up. So while your hand's up, let's just praise him. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, we pray for people that may not be able to raise their hand. We pray for people that we work with. We pray for people in our neighborhood. We pray for people that we come in contact with. Lord, let us live as priests before you and before them. Let us let our light shine. And and Lord, let us be an influence in this world to be able to offer other people up as offerings unto God. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, what I've just shared is from our book, The End of Spectator Church, and it's out there along with a whole bunch of others. And like I said, if we sell out of anything, just My wife will help you write that down, and we'll bring it tonight, okay? Pastor Greg, God bless you, sir. Give your pastor a great hand.
0: (laughs) Hallelujah. We want to give you an opportunity to give towards this ministry. I do encourage you to visit the book table. Those books are greatly enrich your life. Um, So In Search of Timothy is a wonderful tool if you're wanting to get deeper into some of these subjects that uh, he is talking about also the new book. Um, he's got a tremendous book on storms, some, you know, operating and understanding how to function in the storm and how to overcome. Amen? And uh, some good stuff. And if you're grieving here today, if you've had a loss in your life, his book on on, on uh, life after death is very vital and important and has been uh, a great tool to helping people go through the process of grief and loss. So I encourage you, and if you know somebody that needs those books, get them for them. They make tremendous gifts. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, if the ushers will stand, I'm going to pray over this offering. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the ministry gift that has been brought to us today. And we're so grateful, Father God, we take in these words, we receive them, and now we give liberally to those that have communicated unto us this loving message in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to sing a special for everybody. No, I'm just kidding. I keep threatening to sing a special. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, just uh, if you're here and maybe you didn't answer the altar call and maybe God is still dealing with you, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is still upon you, we're going to have some ministers that are going to be up here at the end of service. They'll not only help you and assist you with receiving from the Lord salvation and rededicating your life, but also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you need deliverance, if you need healing in your body, you can have it right here. This is a one stop shop place. You can walk out different than when you came in, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Looking across, making sure everybody's doing it. Be sure and visit the book table. Come back tonight, 6 o'clock. We're going to celebrate the graduates of Rama Bible, Co- not Rama, but Train Bible College. My son graduated Rama this past Friday, so I got that on my mind. But trained Bible college, amen? Hallelujah. We've got some good graduates, good-looking graduates too. Not like the old batches, but good, good, no. Fresh batch, amen? Hallelujah. You're dismissed in